And I would invite you to open your Bibles up to Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Alex Culpepper. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. And um, our normal pattern on a Sunday morning, we walk through the Bible together. We work through a passage of scripture. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, if you got a bulletin today, we did print the passage out uh, in a little sheet in the bulletin. So you can use that as well as we work our way forward this morning. I want to uh, talk to you about a, a lie that we are told by the world that we live in. Our world tells us that we need to get ahead to thrive. That's what our world tells us. Our world tells us that we need to get ahead in order to thrive. And in fact, you probably have even heard something along the lines of, if you're not getting ahead, then you're falling behind. Right, like the, the world keeps moving on without you, and so you need to keep working to get ahead. And, and so if you believe that the only way for you to survive or thrive is to get ahead, you will take whatever you need in order to survive. Right, so I, I just want to ask a question in this framework, because this is the basic way that like, we're processing things. I want to ask you this question. What will you take to stop from falling behind? What will you permit yourself to take to keep from falling behind? I'll just talk to you about one area of my own life. So uh, I got uh, just the perception when I was in high school and college that I was perhaps falling behind socially. And the reason that I got this perception was uh, my friends would often... Uh, go to parties and have fun, and I did not go and do the things that they did. And I started to understand that my friends were telling stories about these fun experiences that they were having that I did not get to be a part of, right? And so I got this sense that like, oh, I, like, I, there's, there's a place where I am now falling behind in my relationships with them. And so here's what I decided. I will take something that I have not been authorized to take, neither legally nor morally, right? I, I will participate in the fun that they're having in the same way that they're having it. And as I did that, you know what happened is that my sense that I was falling behind started to fade away. You know, I, I was like, oh, I'm keeping up now socially with the things that I'm supposed to do. And you know what? Like, I did not stop taking in that area of my life until I realized that my life could thrive in God without necessarily getting ahead in that area. Right, so, so our world tells us that we need to get ahead to thrive. What that means for me is that in order to challenge that lie, I have to acknowledge the truth that my friends can have experiences that I don't get to have. My friends can make memories that I don't get to make and I can still thrive in my life without getting ahead in this area or at least getting ahead on their terms. 
So let's talk about us then, because there are all sorts of spheres of life that we can feel like we are falling behind in, right? So maybe the social sphere is not the particular challenge, but you can feel like you're falling behind academically, you can feel like you're falling behind professionally, or socially, or relationally, or intellectually, or financially, or politically, right? Like there are all of these realms in which you can feel like I am losing ground. And I would wager that for each of us, one of those areas makes us more vulnerable than maybe the rest of them. One of those areas says, if you're falling behind here, you're going to have a really hard time. If you're struggling here, you're going to really have a hard time. You need to get ahead here in order to thrive. And because of that, in that area, we will experience a greater temptation to take something we have not been authorized to take in ways that we have not been authorized to take it in order to get ahead. So, uh, so we're in the middle of this series called Not of This World. And we're essentially asking the question, or we're looking at, how does God intend his people, the people he calls his, to be different from the world around them? And so we said, you know, God tells his people, you shall be holy as I am holy. What does that word holy mean? It essentially means otherworldly. You're going to be different from the world around you because I am different from the rest of the world. I am set apart and I want you to be set apart Two, and so we've been working off of this definition of holiness. When God calls us to be holy, it's, holiness is God's call upon his people to display an otherworldly way of life. Right? God is giving commands to his people Israel before they go into the land of Canaan. This was the land that he had promised to them. The land that he said, you know, I'm going to give this to you. And so this is before they go in to get the land that God had promised. And God is saying, when you go here, you are going to live differently than the people who currently live there. <coughs> You're going to live differently than the Canaanites. So, so what is true about the Canaanites? Well, currently, Israel is different from Canaan and that the Canaanites are not a single nation, but they're a bunch of tribes. Right? Canaanites is one big word to describe the people who live in the land, and they're just a bunch of tribes. And all of those tribes are competing against each other. Right? They're all competing for uh, land and for territory and for power. Every single tribe in Canaan is trying to get ahead of the other tribe. They're all trying to prove their power over each other. The Israelites now are being sent into this land to settle that land as one unified people. This land that they are going into has literally never experienced that before. It's never, like, it has never been true in this land that everybody who lives here is unified. The place has always been at war and in competition with each other. And so the first, for the first time, competition will not be what defines this land, but holiness. Holiness is going to be what defines. So God wants to, essentially, in his people, eliminate the impulse inside of them to get ahead of each other. And, for what it's worth, to get ahead of the other nations as well. So you might ask, okay, why? Why, like, why is God trying to do this? Well, because God created something good in the Garden of Eden. When he made creation, he created something that he called good, and Ever since Adam and Eve thought, you know, we could have something better than what God gave us. We could get ahead. 
of what God has for us. Ever since they thought that, competition and fear and the fight for survival and war and oppression have defined humanity. And so God is sending his people into this land with these commands and the hope that they will send a message to the world essentially to say, this is the way things could have been. Right? If things didn't fall apart, like this is the way things could have been and still can be if you follow me. So, uh, so he has to break the Israelites of this kind of competition, survival, get ahead mindset. He essentially has to break them of Darwinism. Yeah, and so uh, for what it's worth, Darwin's theory of evolution says uh, survival of the fittest. Only the strong survive, right? And so while I don't subscribe to evolutionary theory uh, and generally believe Darwin was a fool, he did get one thing right. He was observing the way the world works and he said, you know what? The people who are the strongest are the ones who come out on top. The people who fight the hardest are the ones who come out on top. The nature of this world hindered by sin. Like he recognized we are all fighting against each other. And might makes right. right. The strong who can rise up and take power, they are the ones who survive the longest and thrive the longest. And so God says to his people, That is not going to be how things work here. And so that sets us up for Leviticus 19. In verses 1 and 2, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In verse 3, it says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Verse 4, do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods cast of metal. I am the Lord your God. Every one of these commands that we see here lines up with one of the Ten Commandments that God gave. So the first thing to note in Leviticus 19 is that actually as you go through the entire chapter, you will find every single one of the Ten Commandments restated in Leviticus 19 and expanded upon. Right, so I have a pastor friend of mine who has given me an incredibly helpful tool for understanding the Ten Commandments. He, he essentially told me this, that every one of the Ten Commandments is about stopping us from taking what is not ours to take. Every single one of the Ten Commandments is about stopping us from taking something that is not ours to take. So honor your father and mother. How is that stopping us from taking something that is not ours to take? It's saying don't take away from your mother and father their right and their responsibility to form and shape you. Keep my Sabbaths. What is that about? Work six days. Rest one day that is holy unto me. Saying, Don't take from your body more than your body has to give. Don't take from your animals more than they have to give. Don't take from the land more than what it has to give. Don't take from your workers more than they have to give. And don't take from me a regular place in your schedule. He says, don't build idols or images of me. (laughs) He's telling them, you cannot determine my image. right? You will not make images of me. I've already made images of me. They're called human beings. Right? I've made something in my image, so don't take my place 
and determining what I do with my image. Right? The Egyptians, if you look back at them, what did they do? They took human bodies, people made in the image of God, and they took the heads off of those human bodies and put animal heads on those human bodies. Goat heads, for example. Right? Imagine somebody took a picture of you that you hold very dear. Maybe it's a picture of you with your family. And what they did is they scratched your face out so that they could put a goat head on your body. How would that make you feel? I just imagine that for a second. God's saying... You cannot do with my image whatever you want to do. It's my image. I get to decide what to do with it. You cannot take my image and make it yours. Okay, so he goes on in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings, verse 6, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after. And verse 7, if it is eaten all on the third day, it is tainted. So peace offerings were about worship of God, worship and relationship with God. And God says, it's my right to define what relationship with me looks like. <clears throat> and you know what? My peace offerings, they're about sharing tables and welcoming your community around a table and around fellowship with me. So don't hoard that meat that you cooked for the peace offerings for yourself. Don't take it for yourself. You only have two days that you can use it, so you better be inviting your friends over so that they can partake in the feast as well. So, so get this. You can't even take everything that you labored to produce. Verse 9 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. He's essentially saying, you're going to leave a portion of your crop in the field. And it says the same thing with a vineyard. If you have a vineyard, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to leave a portion of that crop in the vineyard. And then he says, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. He's saying, the world... The land of Canaan, the people who live there, they have so built their lives on taking to get ahead. And you know who suffers in that world where people just think they have to take all the time? The poor who gets taken from. The sojourner who gets kicked out of their land because somebody took their land from them. And so I'm like, he's saying, I'm even going to stop you from everything that's yours, right? Everything that you call yours, I'm going to stop you from taking even all of that. Because I'm going to teach you with that to tend to images of mine. People I have made in my image that are suffering the most in this world that is oriented towards taking. So he's saying you do not take everything that you can take. You're going to leave some and then you're going to trust my provision for what you don't get to take. And you're going to give to those who are suffering. I imagine, though, like one of them thinking, but God, I am trying to build an agricultural empire. Right? I have to get my storehouses full. I need to get ahead of the other families around me. Like, this is all I've learned. I was held down as a slave in Egypt for all these years. The only way that I'm not going to be enslaved again is if I build my wealth. If I can get more, then maybe I can be in charge. 
Maybe others will come to me and ask for my help. Maybe I can gain some kind of power or influence. If I take all of it, while the rest of them are restricted from taking it, maybe I can get ahead. God says, you are not in competition with your neighbor. Not in this place. Right? Your neighbor is your brother. And together, your priority ought to be to honor me. That's what getting ahead looks like. Right? The world does this tribes and teams thing, but here we work together and tend to the needs of those among us. So verse 11 goes further with some of these ideas. Verse 11 says, You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. (coughs) And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Why do you steal? Well, you steal to get ahead or to keep from falling behind. Right? Your neighbor has something that you think you should have. And in order to, to kind of either maintain your place or get ahead of your place, you'll take from your neighbor. Why do you lie? You lie to get ahead or to keep from falling behind. Maybe you're avoiding some consequences by lying for something that you actually did. Maybe you're trying to get something or, 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 or yeah, get something that you think you deserve. Because the, and this is the way the world operates, by the way. Like, you know what you can't do. Thank you so much. You know what you can't do in a society that lies. Like if everybody's lying to each other and everybody's trying to like maintain their position or get ahead of their position and they're all telling lies all the time, you know what you can't do? You can't trust anyone. It's impossible for a society to thrive when they lie. So if the truth comes with consequences, God says, I'm your God. I am the one who takes care of you. So tell the truth even if it comes with consequences. Why do people attach God's name to the things that they say? He says, you shall not swear falsely by my name. Why would people attach God's name to the things that they say? Well, you do that to get people's attention, to get to be taken more seriously with the thing that you have to say. And God says, uh, you best be honest and follow through when you use my name in that way. Right? If, you're, if you're going to attach the kind of gravity that my name has, you better be serious about what you're going to do. Like, and so Leviticus 19, like we could literally just keep going. The, the whole chapter is about commands like these. Every one of them is a warning from God to his people about taking something that is not theirs to take. He says, don't do it. Right? I'm the one who cares for you. And so these are the things that you're going to tend to. And so by giving these warnings, what God is trying to do is he's trying to teach his people a far different way of approaching the world. Right? Like, if I know that you are going to be guarding your territory and trying to get ahead of me, and my expectation is, like, everybody that I live with is always trying to get ahead of me or get something that I have, then I'm always going to be treating those people as if they're trying to get something that I have. Like, there's no way that we can live in peace if I'm always having to look out for what you're going to do to me. Like, there's literally no other way to process operating in this world. 
Like the, historically, the way, the, the moral system of the day was not determined by somebody who spoke from on high and said, these are my commands. In that day, the moral system of the day was determined by the person who had the most power, who could take the most things for themselves. And God is flipping the whole thing on its head. And he's saying, guess what? I am what it means to get ahead now. So now we can process life in a different way. So this is what they're used to. They are used to taking, right? And taking is this. Taking says that I'm entitled to this thing to keep from falling behind. That's how they were processing the world. And he's trying to change their thinking towards tending. Tending says I will thrive when I faithfully steward what I have now. Those are the two ideas that he's contrasting, right? So do I have a field? Well, some of those resources in my field need to be used to tend to the poor, to take care of them. Do I have time? Well, every seventh day, I need to use my time to both rest and let my resources rest and tend to the things of God. Do I have influence when I speak? I will ensure that when I speak, I tend to the truth. Right? Do I have to testify in court? Well, I will tend to my neighbor's reputation by only sharing that which I know and not my speculations about my neighbor. Right? So, so the taking heart, what the taking heart does is it sees people as objects or obstacles. Either an object that I can use in order to get ahead or an obstacle that is standing in my way from me getting ahead. That's what the taking heart does. And the tending heart sees people as images of God. Something precious, something dignified, something to be cared for and tended to. So verse 17 says this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Least you incur sin because of him. Like seriously, the majority, like I shouldn't say the majority, let's say like 30% of all of Jesus's teaching can essentially be found in Leviticus 19. Like most of what he has to say is about the way that they are relating to each other. Like when Jesus has to talk to his disciples about conflict resolution in Matthew 18, He says, hey, when your brother sins against you, (coughs) don't go to somebody else. Go to your brother. Talk to your brother. And you know what? If he listens, you've gained your brother. And if he doesn't hear you, well, then bring somebody else with you and talk to your brother again. And if he doesn't hear you, then uh, tell it to the assembly, right? Bring them along. But he gives them this process, and he's essentially applying what is said right here in verse 17. Don't hate your brother in your heart because of something your brother did. If it's strong enough to make you hate your brother, then go and talk to your brother. That's all he's saying. Because every image of God deserves to be talked to when they mess up. So don't talk about them. Talk to them. Don't get bitter in your heart at them so that you now judge every single one of their actions through a lens because you haven't resolved this thing in your heart, go and talk to your brother. And if you won't talk to them, then resolve 
to not make it an issue anymore. Because when you talk about them, or when you choose to talk about them because you haven't actually dealt with this thing in your heart, you will end up damaging their reputation and incur sin. Okay, so all of this essentially gets summed up in the next verse, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right, this world, and this is, I mean, this is really what we have been looking at throughout this series about not of this world. We've been looking at, at the power of demonic forces to capture the nations under their thrall. And so we've been actually, like over the last couple of weeks, looking at demonic worship practices and things that they do, but the world is caught under the thrall of demons, and demon religions are built on lies. And chief, or one of the chief lies among the lies that they tell the world is this. The only way I can survive and thrive is to live in competition with my neighbor. It's chief among the lies that they tell. Anybody ever heard nice guys finish last before? You've heard that before, right? In a world that believes this lie, it's actually true that nice guys finish last. Right? There's no other way to function. If I'm constantly seen as a threat to be challenged by you, or a resource to be used by you, then my only chance of thriving is if I get ahead of you. And God is here with his people taking a wrecking ball to that lie. He's saying, I am the definition of getting ahead. I'm what it means to thrive. Life is in me. I created life. Apart from me, there is no life. I saved you. Salvation is found in no one else. You can't save yourself. (coughs) So, he says to them, instead of getting ahead, trust me and love your neighbor. He's like, it's simple. You're not going to fight. You're not going to play the competition game. Instead of seeking to get ahead, trust me and love your neighbor. So Leviticus 19 is full of like tons of other commands. And we could like go through each of the specific commands, but I, I, instead of doing that, I just want us to look at the heart of what is behind this chapter. And this is our main point this morning. God says, my people will be tenders, not nuggets, but tenders, tenders. My people will be tenders, not takers. God says, my people will be tenders, not takers. So what? Well, I think uh, when we look at something like this, we are best aided when we consider the example of Jesus. Right? Jesus was the epitome of what it means to be ahead. He had all authority. Right? Like, he, he existed before creation, with the Father. He was, in fact, involved in the process of creation. He was the Lord of all creation. Right? Like, you, you could not be more ahead than Jesus was. And Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says this. 
says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus refused to play the game that the rest of us are playing, right? He didn't need to show off. He didn't wrap his uh, sense of identity up in how many people followed him. In fact, at a certain point, when too many people were following him, he said something really offensive to make, you know, the majority of them leave. Right? He based the entirety of his ministry on the expectation that people would reject him. He was mocked, he was tortured, he was bruised. And as he did that, though he was the most ahead that anybody could ever be, and though he was being mocked by people who most certainly were not the most ahead, as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even then, he was not grabbed by the impulse to get ahead. Right, and if you're like me, you are caught up in this lie to some degree. Like this lie that I need to get ahead or I need to <clears throat> become better than something else, like fill in the blank, whatever that better than is. That lie is always crouching at your door. Right, you won't be good enough until you're better than them. Right, you need more in order to matter. You, you don't look good enough to make an impression. You need to look better than you do if you're going to make an impression. You know what, you're worthless until you get a better job. They're all lies. They drive us to lie and to cheat and to steal and to covet and to seek to manipulate spirits to our own end and to abuse others and disparage reputations and gossip about other people. And in his death, Jesus destroyed the power of every last one of those lies by saying to you, trust me and become a recipient of the things that I have to give. Trust me and receive eternal life. Trust me and let my death for your sin show you how much you matter. Trust me and let what I say about you become your source of security. Trust me and let me show you that I can be enough for you. Trust me and let me be what it means for you to get ahead. So, I just want to say to you, like if you're here this morning and you haven't, trusted Jesus yet I just tell you to start by trusting him today right if you if you want to do that like you could actually make a profession of faith like you could come up and talk to me after service today and I'd love a chance to pray with you but you don't even have to do that if you're like yeah I'm ready today I want to I want to place my trust in Jesus there are those cards in the back of the seats in front of you you could write on that put your name there Right in there, I, I want to trust Jesus today. You could fold that up and put it in the box. Somebody will, would love a chance to reach out with you and follow up with you and talk about what that's looking like in your, your life. So that's so what, number one. Number two is this. Lives change 
when we faithfully tend in a world that takes. So here at Renovation Church, we have three core values. We say, uh, bless, belong, and become. And so what I want us to do this morning, I just want us to hone in on bless. Right? B-L-E-S-S. Because bless is our way of kind of honing in on what it means to tend to our neighbors, to tend to our community, to tend to the people who live around us who do not yet know Jesus. Right, so what do we say? Well, we say we're going to be, right? We're going to begin with prayer for our friends and neighbors. We're going to pray blessing over them. We're going to pray that Jesus would begin doing a work, the Holy Spirit would begin doing a work to draw them to himself. We're going to L. We're going to listen to them. We're going to be the best listeners that we can be. We're going to show them how valuable the image of God is in them by caring about the things that they have to say. We're going to E. We're going to eat with them. We're going to share our tables. We're going to uh, extend Jesus' hospitality through us to them. We're going to S. Serve them. We're going to love them as we love ourselves. We're going to tend to their needs as God has given us responsibility over them. And finally, we're going to ask. We're going to share Jesus' story with them. We're going to share Jesus' story in our lives with them. We're going to tend to the good news of Jesus because that's something else that he's given us responsibility for. He says, you're going to tend to the truth that I've given you and you're going to take it to people who need to hear it. So if we will commit ourselves to tending to our neighbors in this way, it will change people's lives for eternity. It significantly matters. Like This is the, one of the most significant ways that the people of God differ from the world around us. It's because we, be, we believe we don't need to get ahead. Like the early church, the martyrs of the early church... They, they literally denied the lie that we need to get ahead. They said, okay, we're, we're fine if you want to kill us. We're going to keep loving our neighbors, caring for them. Right? So, so people's lives will change if we commit ourselves to tending instead of taking.